0: Sammy how's it going? Good how are you? Good.
1: Do you have a good Halloween?
0: Uh I did. Uh I have friends who have younger kids so I let them do the, I did the child labor thing, right? Use nice. use your small hands get get Uncle Sammy some candy. Uh so I've been eating some like coffee crisps and things like that today. You have kids I think, right?
1: I do. Yeah, I have a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old so okay. I was busy um just trying I mean they could just go crazy, right? Like <laughs> Yes.
0: <laughs> that sugar kills them right like
1: oh my god they're like it blows their mind right like it's it's like a little casino little prizes at each door <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it was it a good haul for them it was great yeah yeah it's great and it's honestly like as a dad it's honestly one of my favorite holidays because it's one of the rare ones left i feel like where you really see the whole community mm-hmm. like you really everyone comes out of their houses and there's a lot of you're just bumping into your neighbors where like especially because i live in uh burnaby it's just such a big city that you don't get a lot of, you know, everyone's like coming and going all the time. It's really rare to get big groups and be like, oh yeah, like we're neighbors. Mm-hmm. Nice to see you.
0: Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy. Still waiting for my 15 minutes of internet fame, just like it's the bus. You Tyler Funk. How funky fresh is that name, is the guest because he directed a funky fun NFB documentary called Anything for Fame. The key word in the description of this provocative NFB doc is reckless. A startling and timely study of contemporary celebrity, Anything for Fame ventures into the virtual wild west to profile an ambitious and reckless new breed of content creator. What would you do for fame? In the documentary, you'll meet Ava, who went viral for licking an airplane bathroom toilet seat. She called it a coronavirus challenge. What would you do for fame? In the documentary, you'll meet Jake, an Ontario-based skateboarder who performs jackass-type stunts with nail guns and getting shot at with sharp, needle-tipped darts. There will be blood. What would you do for fame? In the documentary, you'll meet Jumani went viral when he quit his subway job by trashing the restaurant. He threw all the food on the floor, stomped on it, stepped on it, crushed the bread, and much more. So what would you do for fame? Do you remember Hoop Dreams from the mid-1990s? It was a popular documentary that followed two inner-city kids and their struggles and setbacks to make it into professional basketball, either the CBA or the NBA. Anything for fame is hoop dreams for influencers. It's a nuanced look at going viral and the struggles of influencers to become wealthy and famous. In 2018, when popular YouTuber Lily Singh announced she was taking a hiatus from YouTube, she explained, and I quote, The platform, YouTube, the platform is a machine, and it makes creators believe that we have to pump out content consistently, even at the cost of our life. What she's saying is in other words, YouTube is a machine that turns people into machines. Tyler and I uncover the many themes in Anything for Fame from the sweatshop quality of the internet to the get-rich-quick scheme of going viral to hope. Is this the kind of internet you want? A machine that turns people into machines. Platforms where people will do anything, even self-harm for fame. Before we can talk about the kind of internet we want, let's discuss the internet we currently have. One where content creators will do anything for fame. Hit it, Stephanie.
1: Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan.
0: Before we start talking about your documentary, Uh, Anything for Fame, this is random, so I apologize up front. This is probably not the best way to start the interview. But Mm -hmm. White Ninja, that screened at T.O. Webfest in 2017. It did, yeah. Were you there? I think that was the CN Tower, T.O. Webfest. I was there. That's how I discovered White
1: Ninja. Oh, cool, yeah. I did a panel there with uh, Brittle Star and Scott Bevan. So the three of us did a little panel. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, that was cool.
0: I liked it. Like, White Ninja cracked me up. And it's interesting because, like, when you go to, like, a TO WebFest or, like, when I've gone to, like, podcast festivals, it's bizarre because a lot of people are just starting out, and this is related to your documentary, they're, like, they're so focused on money. And your documentary does a great job of, like, dispelling the financial myths, like, like when you put out a documentary like this, you have a certain expectation. Uh, When a publisher publishes your book, you have certain expectations. Nobody has these wild, crazy things. And like, I talked to somebody who's like put out three podcast episodes and they're like, they're wondering why they're not a millionaire like Mr. Beast.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a powerful myth in our society, right? Like it's, and it is like, it's, you know, like we didn't make a dollar off White Ninja. We did 200 episodes, you know? And like, we were lucky we were funded by uh, the IPF here in Canada, but that, you know, we spent, I think the, like almost half a million dollars making those 200 episodes, wow. you know? And like, because of Canadian funding, we had access to money, but like, and they got like, you know, I think in total by the second season, we were probably around like 50 million views or something. Um, but we didn't see a penny from anyone mm-hmm. because of that. Like it was just grant funding to make it. And mm-hmm. like, you know, um,
0: but you were internet famous though.
1: Yeah, I guess. I I don't feel like I was, but I feel like White Ninja is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then for your documentary, Anything for Fame, like speaking of like Internet famous, like before you made the documentary, you were interviewing 250 influencers.
1: Yeah. So it was it was, you know, broad emails of like, we you know, we really broke influencers into different categories. We were like, what are the trends we were seeing? Right. Um, and we kind of reflected that in the film of like we wanted to make sure everyone was kind of doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, rooftoping is very different than OnlyFans content creation or uh, even like the jackass kind of stuff that uh, Jake does is like very different than rooftoping. You know, like there's whole different skill set and, and performance elements. Like I think Jake, you know, obviously is much more of a clown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, we tr- yeah, we try to find people in each verticals. And then, yeah, like we, we did this whole research, you know, development phase where we interviewed, you know, really in-depth interviews probably with like 10 or 12. And I don't think any of those influencers made the final film Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know just schedules change um being an influencer i think a lot of people want to be and then often when they hit success they might not want to be um like it's not depending on what how you choose to go famous Mm -hmm. uh, the fastest way to do it is not a way you might want to live in for a long period of time
0: that's a good way to put it and i think it also too it kind of um reveals the mystery a little bit like you don't want to know who batman is if you lived in gotham city You don't necessarily want to know who Batman is. You like that he kind of does his thing, and that's good. Protects you from the Joker, and that's kind of it. Like sometimes it's better to quote unquote control the narrative, right? As a like a content creator.
1: Totally, and I think it's just such a like. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because it's like traditional actors got to do that. You played a character and then you were done, right? You mm-hmm. can, you'd be the Joker, you win an Oscar, but you don't have to literally do that every day to every fan mm-hmm. and just keep being the Joker, you know, hoping yeah. that get monetized. You know, like that's, that's hell. That's what, what a nightmare that would be.
0: And as you're talking to the 250, and this is also touched upon too in your documentary, Anything for Fame, but like in terms of commonalities, what did you notice about like, that hell that you talked about where like in terms of mental health or burnout, like, cause you constantly have to keep cranking out, right? There's a sweatshop quality to the internet.
1: Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Some of the worst labor conditions that have ever existed have been provided by these platforms. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's, it's worse than gig work. Whereas like even, you know, the terrible conditions on being an Uber driver or these other gig jobs at least there is like a paycheck, whereas like social media, it's just on you to like figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, like, I think that's why you have a lot of youth participating because they have the time Mm -hmm. and you know, their parents are covering a lot of the bills, so they don't necessarily need results as quickly. Um, but yeah, it's draining. Like you see for people that, you know, to produce a video every day, you know, I'm sure you know as like a podcaster and everything else you do, right? Like Mm -hmm. each creative endeavor is a huge project. Um, yeah, I, I really think you just have to love it more than it loves you. You know? I don't know if you've... ...project as opposed to waiting for a bag of gold.
0: Yeah, and this is the thing, too. Like, like we said at the top, right? Like, you interviewed 250. Obviously, not all 250 are in the documentary. But, like, there's only, like, 400-and-odd, some-odd players in the NBA, right? So, like... The odds of quote-unquote making it, like lots of people play basketball, <laughs> but there's about 400, 450 players in the NBA like at that elite level. And look how many colleges there are, March Madness and things like that. So it again goes back to the financial aspect. And I like that your documentary kind of emphasizes that this is a lottery, right?
1: It is. And, you know, I think it's a it's a harder lottery to play now than ever. I think, you know, I think when YouTube first started up, you know, even before YouTube, I remember there was a site called Newgrounds. I don't know if you ever went there. It was like a mm-hmm. little flash animation site. Yeah. You know, it, it really felt like you kind of knew who the artist was and there was a chance they'd get their work out there. And, you know, and then YouTube early days, you know, we saw creators that was, you know, they're them doing their own thing. Uh, and now when you look at it, you know, Mr. Beast's budget is in the millions per video you know Mm -hmm. like it's such a different scale and you really need a lot of tickets in that draw Mm -hmm. to even compete right because i do think it's a huge challenge for everyone getting started of like what can you do to stand out um
0: which is the question that you were asking too throughout the documentary and the way that people would answer it is so over the top sometimes
1: totally totally yeah yeah exactly like it's it's a um it can be a very competitive and destructive place if if that's your thinking, right?
0: I'm half joking when I say this, but like, do you have like some sort of like PTSD, I guess, from watching like some of the influencers in your documentary do the things that like they were willing to do? Like go quote unquote go over the top because it's like you're just there as a spectator, right? Like you're recording the video, but like you can't interfere in a sense, right? So like, is it kind of like surreal what people are willing to do?
1: It is. I mean, obviously the rooftoppers are the ones that make me the most nervous
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because you never want to see someone fall and die. But in a weird way, you know, it's like that's the drama of why people are watching it, right? Like if there wasn't stakes, you know, like Peter, who's in our film, you know, he's post videos also doing incredible tricks, but he's on the ground. No one watches those videos. Mm -hmm. But when he's on a roof jumping between buildings, that's where it gets the views. You know, like it, it has to have this conflict. But yeah, it's like it's a really hard place as you get to know these creators as your friends. And really starting to see that perspective from their parents and everyone else of like, why are you doing this? Like, is it worth it? Like, you're special. You're you're a special human. We don't want to lose you. We mm-hmm. um, want to get some views.
0: And not just rooftops. He was dangling off of uh, the uh, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Right. Assuming that this yeah. video wasn't faked. I know some like YouTube videos are faked. But assuming that it wasn't faked, I was like, yo, that's that's real danger.
1: Yeah, oh, real danger. And, you know, like he had the FBI track him down afterwards too, right? like real repercussions, Um, you know, big lawsuit was filed after Adam and uh, yeah, like it's things can escalate really quickly when you go viral. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. Like, I think that video just blew up. And then once it got the attention of the authorities, you know, like, I think the bridge authority was embarrassed that he pulled that off. Mm-hmm. And that's why they threw the book at him.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. So then with that repercussions you're talking about then, is there an outlaw appeal to being an influencer?
1: Yeah, I I think there's like an appeal. And we kind of found this throughout of like a rejection of societal norms. And I think society, you know, like as we spend so much time on social media, we see other lifestyles. We see people's, the best of their lifestyles. And it does. You're like, well, why am I going to follow the nine-to-five grind? Why am I going to follow my career? I want to go do something crazy and get rich overnight. You know, like... Mm -hmm. That energy is such a part of it. And I think that really fuels a lot of the myth of like, I just need to do a couple crazy things then I'll be set for life. So who cares? Yeah, um, Ava in so your problem. documentary
0: was like that, right? Like she was doing a lot of like, kind of, I guess, sex themed videos. You want to just explain a little bit of her background and who she is? Because she's a good example of what you're talking about. We're like kind of rejecting of a lot of the societal norms.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Ava Louise, you know, has a huge skepticism of media and has really used that to her benefit. Um, she knows how quick, you know, media loves a story about like stupid influencers. And she really plays upon that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she has actually a degree in marketing. And so she knows what she's doing when she creates these like ridiculous scandals, such as like licking a toilet seat and <laughs> calling it the coronavirus challenge, mm-hmm. uh, or starting rumors about Kanye West. And she knows that the media is not going to fact check and they're going to put the story out there, but she's a part of it. And that allows her to monetize because um, she has a very clear, like funnel to her only fans and her content. Um, and I think that's the one piece that she's really a master of that other creators haven't necessarily thought through of you can get the views, you know, it's what Jamani has always really struggled with, mm-hmm. but what do you do once you've got the views? How do you turn those into money? What, what next rather than just all this attention. And, you know, I think all of the creators in our film, you know, they deal with a ton of hate and, you know, I think people like Ava are very aware, and that's just part of the game, and that's great. Whereas I think other creators, it, it becomes a bit more personal, and you really have to disconnect if that's the route you choose to go.
0: Yeah, it was, there was an interesting scene where you had them read out a number of the comments they would get on, like an IG post or whatever, TikTok post or whatever it was. And, um, yeah you could see like some of the the comments hurt their feelings i guess for lack of a better term right like it hurts
1: yeah they yeah they land hard right mm-hmm. and you um you know i felt bad filming those in some part because like obviously we picked provocative comments but you know on a lot of their pages it's 50 50 um and you know we each one of those we filmed with each creator probably about an hour of reading comments and like yeah like there's you you see how much gets into their head and and it would for any of us you know like if when this goes live, if people are just commenting about how, you know, how horrible I am or how stupid I sound. Like, obviously, that's hard to turn off.
0: I've learned this from, like, podcasting, which is when you put something online, it goes places you don't always expect. Like, you know what I mean? I've looked back at some of the episodes I posted, and I'm like, people in Australia were downloading it, right? And I'm like, I never mentioned Australia or kangaroo. Like, there's no, what are you Googling to, like, find this interview or whatever it is, All right, And I'm like... And you just don't expect that. And that's that. I think that's the interesting tension in anything for fame where people want to go viral, but they don't want to be hated. But the problem is the more people that see you, the more opportunity there is for haters. It's a weird tension.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think there's a way to go famous online very slowly over time by being an expert in your field. And we don't really cover any people like that, say, like makeup artists mm-hmm. or maybe someone teaching you how to play the guitar. Um because it's a much slower climb. And, you know, our film is really about those people that were pedal to the metal. How do I get fast as quick as possible? Um, Because I think all those other avenues, while you can gain a following online, it still requires so much resource on your own to make those first hundred videos. You know, like it, it's a huge investment. And and especially now it's so saturated to be the expert or the like YouTube expert on whatever Pokemon cards or whatever. There is so much competition out there mm-hmm. and it's a very challenging space. And that's why I think people fall into conflict because it's it's almost easier
0: it is easier because what you're talking about too like as a generalization it takes a long time to be well read right so even if you're doing like pokemon or whatever you gotta listen to other pokemon podcasts or documentaries or books or whatever it is like it takes a long time to be well read only fans i know this is simplification but only fans all you have to do is take off your shirt <laughs> like that's obviously a shorter and quicker and in a in way more lucrative path
1: yeah, you're, you're creating content, um, you know, I think it's just like, yeah, people think about like what they're doing to create their content and bring their audience to it, right? And yeah, if if it's through hypersexuality or if it's through hurting yourself like Jake or jumping off bridges, yeah, all that stuff, like right away, you know, it's like, why do we all stop and stare at that car crash? Mm-hmm. You know, why do we all like peek in, you know, like what's going on there? And um, necessarily, I think being part of those things can be a challenging place to live in. Right. And that's where I really feel for all the creators.
0: So is this a commentary on the content or on the viewer?
1: To me, it's the viewer. To me, I think it's like, you know, it's like we we are the ones that really dictate this marketplace. You know, I think OnlyFans, for example, paid out five point four million dollars to creators uh, last year, I believe is what I read, which is a ton of money. Um, and as long as there's this huge pool of money going in that direction, it's going to encourage young creators to go that path. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's really on us as the viewers, you know, same with all the stuff. If if jumping over, you know, between buildings or hanging off a bridge gets you that million views, people are going to keep doing it. And so I think, you know, viewers love to criticize like, ah, they're so dumb. They're so crazy. Why would they do that? Well, it's for you. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. clearly, and it's the funny thing is everyone always says, no, that's not what I watch. You know, I watch cat videos and I watch this and I, I'd never watch content like that. Right. But the stats are there and the numbers are there and the studies are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason. So I think until we're all ready to be honest with ourselves, yeah, um, it's gonna be hard to move forward in that conversation of how do we create or encourage uh, content creators to make better content
0: yeah, it's that thing of like pornography is like, a, what is it, a $5 billion business or whatever it is, right? But every like, when you talk to people like, no, no, I'm a feminist, I believe in women. Like, you know what I mean? It's that same contradiction, right? Somebody's watching it and somebody's paying for Pornhub.
1: Exactly, right? Like all these, there's forces driving these. And I think in all these different types of behavior, um, you know, and same, again, like the, to bring it back to the rooftopers again, like no one, no one wants to see a kid die, but then they do, the views show up right? And Mm -hmm. there's that conflict there. So I think, yeah, it really asks, I hope the film raises that question and makes everyone think about their feed uh, and how they're encouraging. And, you know, part of that is getting over our expectation of free media. You know, like if we're willing to pay people to make good media as as much as we're willing to pay for these other types of content, I think that would encourage more creators to create better content.
0: Yeah. What you're talking about is, uh, it reminds me of uh, Jeff Bezos when he bought the Washington Post. He said we have to wean the audience off of like getting free articles. Like We should put more and more money into the journalism, elevate the journalism, and then hopefully get better readers and people who want to pay for this. Um, which is, again, I think what he's talking about and what you're alluding to as well is this idea of content, which is one of the struggles that a lot of people have. Because I, I don't think you would necessarily classify all the work and the effort you put into anything for fame and just call it like content. It's a documentary. It has a, it has talent It has like skills and time and effort. And just to boil it down to content seems like disrespectful to you and the team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a massive undertaking, right? Like it's, you know, I, I think there's, there is a difference between a film like anything for fame. And if I, you know, film myself for an hour, just giving you my thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we, spent 70 days traveling across North America. We covered so many different stories and really worked through that process. Um, But yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing is we all expect so much free content you know we've all been so spoiled with so much content i think about when i was a kid there was way le- less funnels out there right mm-hmm. uh and you are like hey oh, i want to rent a video i'm gonna pay mm-hmm. um i do think that's important especially for journalism right like i think we've really seen just how bad it's gotten out there when it's your angry aunt or uncle on facebook yelling their opinion mm-hmm. as opposed to like actually like researched uh great articles um yeah. so i don't know it's tough though I, I i honestly don't see things going that way i don't see people you know, uh, turning around and willing to pay for things, but hopefully that'll change.
0: But that is a theme, especially towards the end of the documentary, which is like, you're basically asking the viewer, what kind of internet do you want?
1: Exactly. And, you know, I think it's really our choice. And I think it's our, like, what are, what are you willing to pay for? You know, if you're willing to, even, you know, by spending your time watching content on say the NFB, Mm-hmm. um you want to support them getting more funding and making more films like that right um so yeah it, it really the viewers are the ones who are going to ultimately decide and it'll be curious to see it'll be curious to see what the next generation wants right
0: yeah i think sometimes we fall into this passive um kind of view of the internet where it's like almost like a restaurant right where you just kind of go in and just like i want some of this i want some of this like i'm craving this or whatever. Well. I think what you are getting at is, and it's great because it's empowering, which is like, no, you can push these companies around. You can like design better things. And like you said, you don't have to do OnlyFans. You could teach people how to like play guitar or do something fun. Like you have opportunities, but we have to make those opportunities just as valuable as OnlyFans.
1: Yeah. Like we, I, I hope we see more of a world where young creators get a ton of options to be themselves. Um, and to make money off that. And I, you know, I think part of it really is the platforms need to, it's tough. Cause they like really change their algorithm, how they pay all the time. And this is this weird content fund where they, you know, it's like, oh, we're spending a hundred million dollars on Snapchat, you know, so everyone goes to Snapchat and they kind of make stuff, but it's always a spend down fund that lasts a quarter or two. Mm-hmm. And so like, without an actual system in place, it's really hard for creators to build up that big catalog and, and, and sustainable. You have to kind of go fast and furious. Um, and I think, I think YouTube's done the best job of monetizing, you know, where it's seems like that's one where if you build your subscribers, you make your videos, it, creators more or less know kind of the rules and that the algorithms or the platforms rather hide so much of the algorithms from the creators, which mm-hmm. is really hard. And I think we need to open that conversation up because creators want to be successful and they'll do the right thing if they're given the information and incentive to do so.
0: Yeah. Was it, I think it was Jake. He was the, um the the jackass guy so he does a lot of these kind of stunts where like with nail guns and things like that i think it was on tiktok i think that was the platform there was at one point the algorithm changed no no it was self harm or something like that right and he got kicked off of tiktok because he was obviously self harming and there was like uh darts with like uh like sharp tips and things like that so he obviously got kicked off of tiktok and so he went down to zero followers that's correct that was the example of what you're talking about yeah right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And what's so fascinating about that to me, um, you know, trying to not make judgments on the content, but that was at the same time that TikTok was advertising Jackass 4, who <laughs> had you know, literally done his bit in their film. Yeah. Um, and they're willing to take the money and advertise that film while banning the creator who that one skit is based on. You know, it's like, that's where I just think like a level playing field, you know, if, if we, if, If we deem we don't want that content in our society and that's the rules, sure. But like, let's like, what is the, you know, what is it going to be? And I think the platforms will ultimately get better content the more they're upfront with their creators. You know, the more that they're like, hey, we actually don't do that kind of content here. Go try it on, you know, some other platform. Mm -hmm. And then we can have platforms that are just for adults. We can have platforms that are just for kids and create like better spaces and communities in each one of them.
0: Jackass is a good example because obviously it was a corporate sponsor. Right. So TikTok is, of course, blindly going to take the money because it's like good money. So I get that point. But you also work with like corporations like you've done commercials for Coca-Cola and Lego, for example. Right. You've worked on digital strategies for companies. So I know this is kind of um, a silly question, but like how is what you do with Coca-Cola, quote unquote, different than like somebody posting stuff on TikTok?
1: You know, I'm not sure it is. I think probably the people stuff people post on TikTok, you know, it just depends what they post, but it's, you know, it's definitely pure content. I mean, the, all the ads I direct, right? Like, honestly, most ads are relatively boring. We do our best to make them entertaining Mm because that's the job as a director, but ultimately it's not typically the content you want to watch. Um, and I think your job as a content creator is you're free from that. And that's a huge freedom that you don't have to be selling a product. And then it's really on you as what's your choice to do with it. You know, and I, I see anything for fame is what I chose to do with my free time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that was the passion project. Uh, and then like all of us, we need to have other, other careers to make a living and mine's directing commercials. And, you know, I think a lot of content creators would be better off if they said, Hey, I'm going to have a career as an accountant, as whatever, you know, some other job and then made stuff on the side rather than betting it all on the content having to make their living and everything. And it's like, you don't want all your eggs in one basket.
0: Mm -hmm. It's uh, that thing of like, you know, uh, you just kind of quit your day job. And I'm like, I'm just gonna write novels now, (laughs) right? Whether you don't have like, you don't have an article, like a contract from Random House, anything. It's just like, I know I got stories in me. I'm gonna tell my stories, right? And it's like you're saying, like you bet on yourself, but because this is such a hard, like, as we talked about lottery, right? To bet on yourself is just not enough. Like you can't have just aspirations and hope that works out.
1: Yeah. And and I think it's like, I think people feel motivated because they get to tell all your friends and peers that you're going all in, but it doesn't actually mean anything. Mm -hmm. And like all the successful directors I've seen, you know, it's a transition, right? Like I, 10 years ago, before I started my production company, you know, I was serving tables at a restaurant, um, you know, and I didn't really enjoy it. It was a really uptight restaurant and I was just starting to get gigs directing. And then eventually it was like, okay, now's the time to make the transition, you know? Um, And that allowed me to be a little more selective of choosing and finding work as a director as opposed to having to enter the film industry as a PA and kind of go that route.
0: But also you have that freedom now, like you decided to make anything for fame, right? Like, and thankfully you you got to work with the NFB who are great, shout out to the NFB. That I think is also a difference because you and know, I've already touched upon like that sweatshop quality, which is like you got to keep going, you got to keep making stuff, right? And like the part of the, the theme in the last third of the documentary was people are trying to shift their personality, right? And they want to try to do different things, like, uh, like we mentioned the jackass guy, like he didn't want to do jackassy stuff anymore, less of it, like you know, what I mean, he's like. I'm a boy. I have feelings. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like he wanted to communicate different things. And that too is like you have that freedom as a creator to work on different projects. Whereas sometimes uh, with the online people, they get trapped in that personality. They're like David Bowie who can't shift from like Ziggy Stardust to like Thin White Duke or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're so, so lucky in Canada. And I know like the funding thing in Canada is very challenging, but like, you know, so yeah, we are funded by the Telus fund and uh, the national film board and they did an amazing job of supporting this, giving us freedom, but there's also like telefilm, the bell fund, the IPF. There's so many funds that we have here that as a content creator, you know, we're, I think we're one of the luckiest countries on earth where like, you know, if you have a story to tell it, you don't need to go make it out for free and try and pump it out. Like you can actually go that path still and get paid still. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd encourage anyone like trying to be a creator to like go down those paths first, right? Like really do your research on the funding that's available. uh, And then, and you know, maybe co make your YouTube series on the side, you know?
0: We've touched a lot about like internet famous. And I even mentioned this with in terms of like white ninja. Are you differentiating like quote unquote different types of fame? Like the way, because like the way you love your brother is a lot different than the way you love your wife, right? You love them both. But the way you express it, the way everything like that, it's completely different. And so we use that word love interchangeably, but it should be two or three different words. And is it the same thing with fame? Is it kind of like a generic fame or is there a different types of fame?
1: Yeah, you know, we had, we had a great moment that didn't make the final cut of the film, but it was from uh, Dr. Rockwell. And she mentioned how fame is currency. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I really like to think of it that way. And I think Internet fame is maybe like a weaker dollar. You know, maybe Internet fame is the Canadian dollar <laughs> and Hollywood fame is the American dollar. You know, um,
0: <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Yeah. Uh,
1: and so, yeah, like your your levels of fame give you different benefits, but it's a currency. It's something you can use while you have it. And then it disappears uh, and it doesn't stick around forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think Internet fame. Absolutely. It's especially now. Like I think having like a million views on something meant a lot when we first launched White Ninja, mm-hmm. you know, like back back in the day. Um, but Vine obviously was great at inflating their views. So that was part of the whole platform, you know. And and now I see it on uh, X, um, Twitter, uh, where you know they'll say like this tweet got fifteen thousand views, and you're like, really? Like, what is this based on? Mm-hmm. Um, and the platforms are always using different ways to count. You know, I remember Facebook was first they changed their view where like YouTube you had to watch all the way through, and then Facebook was like three seconds counted as a view and like and that's just devalued the currency of internet fame of all think, these platforms. Yeah, I think changing. Netflix is five
0: minutes too, or something, or less than five minutes, right? Which is like yeah. for like an eight episode season, I'm like, You watch five minutes and that counts? Like you didn't dent nothing. That's a trailer.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. If anything, that should count as, like, a minus view, right? Because <laughs> it's like, you didn't stick with it. Um, yeah, But, yeah, I I think uh, tech companies have really devalued internet fame by being so focused on trying to brag about how they have the most views on their platform, whereas at least, like, Hollywood movie theaters, you know, filling people up, you can't really argue with that, you know? Like, there's the box office numbers. Someone's either a movie star or they're not.
0: Yeah, and this idea, too, of internet fame based on numbers and going viral – it's kind of dehumanizing and your film touched upon this as well. Like where does empathy fit into all of this? Because your documentary is great because it shows you the human side, right? Like the emotions and like the frustrations and all these kind of things of trying to make it and the struggles. It's like a hoop dreams for internet fame. Where does empathy fit into that? Yeah.
1: Thank you. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I hope the film just like brings us all to have a bit more empathy for the creators and, and understand what a hard game they're playing, you know, and I understand their actions a little bit because I, I really think it's easy as viewers and as older generations to just, you know, people love to think like, ah, oh, the kids these days, kind of mentality. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, no, they're, they're stuck in a really hard game that was created by millennials, by boomers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're trying to get theirs and, and the rules are so fucked up, you know? Um, and so I think empathy, and I don't think by any means to say that every type of content is great, you should go out and make this content. Like I'm not saying that at all, mm-hmm. um, but I just think we should hopefully move past the the news story of influencers so dumb rather than why do we keep giving attention? We're the ones making it that, that's the conversation to be had.
0: Yeah, that's I always find the, the challenging thing because as an older person, like when I'm critical of this stuff, like the legitimately critical, like you can be critical of Fox News in the same way, but when I'm legitimately critical, I get sometimes dismisses, oh, you're an old man or you don't get it or it's not for you or whatever. I'm like, but they are like, as we've highlighted in this conversation, there are things like we should design the Internet that we want. Like, is this really what you want out of the Internet, out of all the possibilities we can do with cameras and like recording podcasts and doing all these things? This is what you want.
1: Yeah, because it's such a gift. Like, it's such an amazing tool that we can all come together and that we have this, right? And I, I honestly, like, I, I think everyone, people like you that are using your platform, you know, like, you you could have brought me on this podcast and just attacked me. And, mm. you know, maybe that would get more views. Maybe maybe we get a viral oh, clip there. shoot,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah know? Like, all right, let's do this all over again. Take two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, like, uh, choosing to share those stories, choosing to listen to others, choosing to have an approach with a bit of empathy, I think will help to create a more empathetic internet, you know, cause then, you know, for some, the next podcaster coming up that listens to this will hopefully want to be like you, you know, as opposed to, uh, it being about how do you get a viral moment and, you know, do some crazy prank or whatever it is.
0: Mm-hmm. And the flip side of empathy is shame. Does shame kind of factor in or like, did you notice a lot of maybe even off camera moments where like shame was a, uh, I guess part of the process or part like a significant factor.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a big weight. And, you know, I, I think you see it in the film, especially with Jumani. You know, I, th- I think like Ava's kind of come to peace with it of, you know, hey, I'm making my money, I'm doing this, it's working, I'll turn the shame off. Uh, you know, Jumani, um, I think even more so than Jake kind of really regrets a lot of his actions and you know really did a lot of damage in his community and to those around him and was left with very little for it
0: do you want to explain the subway thing just for people who don't know who yeah because that's a great sure. i found that really offensive like you know yeah. what i mean like you're going viral for that like I, that was, yeah you know what i mean like ava can do whatever she wants only fans go knock yourself out but Jumani's like the subway thing really offended me so you just want to explain that quickly before you finish your thoughts sorry
1: for sure. Yeah. And like, so obviously one way to go viral is to break societal rules. And Jamani's approach to that was trashing stores or he was working on a subway and he would trash all the food at the end of a shift, you know, throw all the food out, step on it. Um, you know, and it's obviously it really crosses a line. Uh, it feels super disrespectful to his employer. It feels super disrespectful to people that would maybe eat that food. There's so many different things to break down. Mm-hmm. Um But Jamani knew and that it would get a lot of views and, you know, it's a little bit of this deal with the devil, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think he just always was struggling with, um, of just, I know how to get views. I know how to, you know, like I'll be on world star tomorrow, you know, the amount of times he's blown up on Reddit, uh, he knows how to get there. Um, and I think there's a bit of like a myth, and hopefully our film helps to to share this, that if if you just go viral, everything, you know, the money will come, the record labels will come, everything will be set, And that's really not the case. And that's why, you know, we thought his story was especially so important, just to really break it down and show.
0: And I think even he was saying early on in the documentary, Anything for Fame, that like, he he had the impression that a lot of famous people were happy and like because obviously they were rich and well off and whatever. And yes, obviously having the money and the wealth and all that does alleviate a lot of concerns. But we've seen time and time again, a number of celebrities OD or have drinking problems or divorces and things like that. Like it is an illusion both on both sides of the fame. Uh, right? Whether it's your internet famous or like Hollywood famous, like there is an illusion of like, they're not necessarily any happier or quote unquote better off than you.
1: Yeah, you're always chasing it, right? Like it's not something you can ever hold on to. I think like relationships within our lives, friends, family, like we kind of have those and we can hold on to them. Uh, Fame is just like, it's obviously like internet fame. It's insane when you have something go viral. It's such a like crazy feeling to see people around the world cheering for you, loving it. Um, But that goes away so fast, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's so impossible to hold on to. And so, of course, it's never going to create any long term happiness and rarely creates short term happiness. Um, It's really just like the dopamine hit at the slot machines, you know,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then you just got to keep pouring your money, your life, your content in and hope that you hit again.
0: Yeah, it is a jackpot. And speaking of somebody who's hit a jackpot, this is the last question. But how did uh, BritaStar uh, Stuart Reynolds. How did he come into your life? You've worked with him for years.
1: For years, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh,
0: and he's obviously now somebody who's going viral. Uh, he's had quite a bit of a- internet success as well. Uh, picking up where White Ninja left off, I guess. Right? <laughs> like, like he's getting yeah. well recognized and like uh beloved too as well. But he's also a good example where like he's in more control. Like it's not like he's doing OnlyFans or anything like that were like, he's kind of making, I guess, for lack of a better term, more wholesome content.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, and so Brittle Star, uh, I first met him. He was a Vine kind of star and he helped work with me on White Ninja back in the day. Uh, and then we've worked on several projects since then. And during Anything for Fame, I'd often call him just to chat about the industry because he was really living in it, was so aware of what's going on and very strategic. Um, you know, he came to be a social media influencer, I believe, in his early 40s. And so he need to make a living to support his family. And so he needed something that was going to last. And so I think if you're thinking about it of like, well, how can I do this for the next decade? You're going to make very different decisions than how do I go viral today? Mm-hmm. And that forms all of his content, right? Like he's making stuff that he knows he can stand by five years from now. That's not going to haunt him. He he's, doesn't need you know 10,000 new followers every day. Rather, he needs to just keep creating content, put good content out there, Um, I think his content, you know, it's great. It's very, um, I think the internet's favorite dad is like his hashtag. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the vibe he has, you know? And again, like that's a sustainable profile. That's a character you can be your whole life. Mm -hmm. You can always be a great dad. Mm -hmm. And I think for creators starting, it's like, yeah, where does this go? You know, anything that's starting to get more extreme, each video, like how far are you willing to go and how do you maintain that over more than a few months?
0: He's a great example of somebody who's kind of almost deliberately, deliberately picked his audience. Right. Whereas I think a lot of the influencers in your documentary, they just wanted anybody watching it. Like it wasn't like it didn't matter who it was as long as the numbers were, quote unquote, there. Brittle Star seems more selective, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it. Right. Like, I think he was very aware of like, hey, if this is my audience, these brands will come to me. I might actually make some money on this, Mm -hmm. you know. Whereas I think of a lot of our other creators were just like, how do I get eyeballs? Right. But again, you know, it's, there's so much more to it. You, you you can figure out how to get the eyeballs, but you ideally want to keep doing it and make a living at it if the goal is to be a content creator. And so you really need some sustainability and, and, and kind of comforting your skin of like, okay, that's who I am online. That's, that's who I am for the forever, you know? And so
0: there's obviously takeaways for the audience that watch this, but for you, was like immersed in this world and shooting these videos and talking to these creators for a period of time, what is now your takeaway? Like, did it kind of shift from when you started it? Like, uh, like, what is your where your position? Like, how did you where did you land on all this stuff?
1: Yeah, honestly, I'm still processing. Like I, me and my uh, producing partner, Sebastian, who's also the editor on the film, talk all the time. We're like, hey, should we become influencers? Should we present ourselves as the documentary filmmaker guys or the mm-hmm. ad guy? Like, would that bring opportunity? Would it bring new people in our lives? Yeah. Is it a ton of work and maybe not worth it? Also, probably, yeah. And so it's a conversation that I still have. Uh, I'm kind of happy sitting on the sidelines. Like I honestly don't need the attention. I have a great close circle of a few friends and my family and and that brings me joy. Um, and I'm busy working as a filmmaker, you know, I, I think you can see the benefits if you're selling something. And and that's what I think, like social media so much is marketing, right? Like if you put yourself out there all the time, hopefully you have a product to sell. I currently don't. So I don't really see a need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as we're celebrating the launch of this film, I'm doing a lot more of these interviews and posting more than I ever do. Usually I post on Instagram like once a year. Um, <laughs> but now I'm like, oh yeah, I probably should do something because I do have this product, which is this film that I want people to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say to everyone, like, yeah, I think it's, it's great if it's a hobby and it brings you joy. You know, if you're, if you're creating something online, it brings you joy, hundred percent go for it. Or if you're focused on selling something, go for it. Um, but if you think it's going to bring you money or save you from your nine to five or, you know, be your lottery ticket, um, I think it's probably a waste of energy and there's probably better things to do with your time.
0: There we go. That's a good way to put it. So, uh it'll be streaming on the nfb is it still on paramount canada or is that taken off now
1: yeah yeah it's still in paramount canada they had a six-month exclusive and it's on uh paramount also in uh france germany uh australia new zealand um and it is i believe on cable television in spain and uh u.s news will be announced i believe first week of november
0: Okay, we'll look forward to that. You got in trouble from some uh US was it a US uh influencer who uh bombed the on IMDB?
1: Yeah, that's what that's what we think happened. We we're not really sure what happened, but yeah, we got review bombed uh online, even though we're not out in the US. Um <laughs> and there was all these like one star reviews. And you know, like I get people not liking the film, I get if people give it a five. Mm-hmm. Um I you know, I've made a lot of stuff and I'm actually quite proud of the film. I like it. A lot of my stuff I hate. I think, Oh, that's trash. It can be way better, but this film I'm quite happy with. Yeah. And I think it was at least a five. Um, but yeah, on IMDb <laughs> we saw a bunch of one stars from America where we're not released. And, um, yeah, we have some, you know, I think maybe someone, you know, we interviewed a lot of different influencers and some people, uh, were not included in the film that wanted it to be. Um, so you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's you know, maybe it really is a one-star film, uh, and I'm just <laughs> no far wrong. from it. I really
0: enjoyed it, so you and the team, high five! Like, so that wasn't me who put the one star. Like, I was more in. The well, line. appreciate it. Yeah, so <laughs> just to clear that up. But yeah, no, I mean, like, hopefully you'll get a better reception. Obviously, when you get into the states, is what I was getting at, right? Like, so that was a little bit of a chilly reception, but that's great though. So yeah, so uh, Paramount Plus Canada and NFB. I'll put the links for both. Um, and then people can check it out and then we'll wait for the u.s news soon for the american listeners
1: for sure yeah and like, uh, you know i said to everyone um yeah i'm just curious to hear your thoughts like honestly like the good or bad uh you know the one star, like what can we do with that but like whenever people give us feedback we love it like we me and my editor go for coffee we read them all and we're like hey sweet that's that's great note. Mm-hmm. or they loved it cool, they like that element um that's one of the biggest joys of being a filmmaker you know and that's that's it's like moments like these i love it's like it's great to talk about the work with someone
0: you know, you guys. Honestly, like I'm not sucking up or whatever. Like you did a great job, and I thought the even though we didn't touch upon in the interview, so we're running out of time now. But like, um, the the scenes with the parents were really great because like I probably should have referenced that when we were talking about the different types of fame because the parents are they understand the old school fame. I think was what you you kind of pick up on. They understand Hollywood and they understand like getting your name in marquee lights and all that kind of stuff. If you told them that their son or their daughter was doing that, then they would like instantly get it. But then I think it was just like, uh, like Jake, for example, his mom had a couple of instances where like some kids wanted to take photos with him or whatever. So it was like, okay, maybe her son's famous, but she's still not quite getting it.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, those were fascinating. You know, those were, we shot each one of those parent scenes for, you know, they're like an hour and a half and there were these crazy emotional kind of conversations, right? That these families had been bottling up um so uh, yeah i love that part in the film i think viewers will find it quite fascinating
0: Mm -hmm. no but thank you tyler for like taking the time and like hanging out sorry if we went long but uh, i appreciate the time so and the documentary so thank you
1: pleasure sammy Mm -hmm. and uh yeah hit me up if you're ever in vancouver
0: Yo, that was Tyler Funk, and I'm Sammy, host of My Summer Layer. In this conversation, Tyler Funk highlights his documentary Anything for Fame focuses on content creators who signed up for the Get Rich Quick scheme. He contrasts that with the slow growth of, say, being an expert in your field. And honestly, he could have contrasted Get Rich Quick with me and My Summer Lair. I am slow, not intellectually, but rather I take my time. I'm Gen X. I appreciate and recognize consumption takes time. To properly digest a movie, a book, an album, even a song, it takes time. You have to live with it for a while like a roommate. And this is the tension, that digesting time is slower than the hectic pace the online media dictates, which constantly demands fresh product. We eat constantly, daily, but many of the meals are just to shush the hunger. Here's some damn toast. Now be quiet. I am late for work. The meals that are truly special, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas dinner with all the family, those are rare. Those don't happen often, much less daily. For those meals, there's lots of food. It takes time to prepare and cook and lots of time to digest. Yet soon after they are over, it is back to daily unmemorable meals. Here's some damn toast. I find it discouraging that my slow pace isn't always appreciated online. And yet I'm not willing to compromise that to satisfy a ravenous internet. I honestly wonder if organic growth is mostly over, how long does it take to slowly grow a podcast or establish a prominent newsletter? How do you authentically break through the noise without having to resort to theatrics and drama for the cheap sake of going viral? Look, I'm a miser in the attention economy. You have to craft something compelling for me to click on it. I'm not allergic to fun, but rather I'm not willing to support foolishness as fun. I don't go online to get angry. I don't go online to be seen. I have a deep, Deep appreciation for my followers and my podcast listeners. You find folks are amazing. I end every show with thank you for listening to me in a Netflix world because I understand and I recognize you have choices. But for some magical reason, you push play on some of these podcasts. That's crazy. That's wild. Without you people, I have nothing. I understand how the system works, but I'm not willing to make flimsy compromises. Truly, there is a massive Grand Canyon difference between being popular and being relevant. It is easy to be popular. Anything for fame shows that clearly. It is difficult to be relevant. But when I go online, that's what I want. Something relevant. Something distinct. Yes, I enjoy mainstream things like everyone else. I watch Doctor Who and I watch Star Trek and I enjoy NBA games, I go to NBA games but i'm also a snob and i'm not willing to accept that this is the best we can do because every so often a crafty and cool creator hits the sweet spot and they're popular and they're relevant and that's magic sign me up for that let's support those dynamic creators you can see anything for fame online at the nfb the link is in the show notes at my summer lair i have a substack newsletter to share the work of those kind of dynamic content creators and to extend this conversation because there's a lot to talk about here. This shouldn't be a monologue from me. This should be a dialogue because this is us determining what kind of internet we want. Sign up today at mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe. That's mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe or Google Substack My Pal Sammy. Google Substack, my pal Sammy. Really, this is the biggest takeaway from anything for fame. Watch the documentary and then start to dream. What kind of internet do you want? You don't have to lead a revolution. I'm not asking you to be MLK. All you have to do is pause. Do I want to share this? Do I want to react to this video? Pause. And think about why you're sharing. You have no idea how much of a difference that's going to make in our world. Thank you so much. Honestly, thank you so, so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Thank you for pushing play. Thank you for sharing this podcast. Like, it's, it's humbling. It <laughs> really is. Thank you for listening to me in a Netflix world. Fame, yo.